Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Uh, back once again, it is me, Kajan Bachelor, and... And it is me, Nina Kern. Wow. We're talking about Italy. You're going to start off with that spaghetti-ass <laughs> fucking accent? I love spaghetti. It's a me. <laughs> you sound like Mario. Mm-hmm. It's a me, Nina Kern. That's what I wanted to sound like. <laughs> I wanted to sound like Mario. Uh, you know Italians don't sound like Mario, right? Have you met an Italian in real life? Yes, I have. Did he sound like Mario? No. Exactly. But they were they were cute like Mario. Okay, so you've stand a lot of weird people already and like said on the show that you would be sexually interested in a lot of people. Uh, including multiple <laughs> previous presidents of the United States. Um, but I think Mario definitely takes the cake if you're insinuating that Mario... No. <laughs> Mari, Mariana. I can't even say his fucking name. That Mario is cute. He is cute, but not like a, ooh, I want to do you cute. Like, oh, you see, you can mean you see that mustache? You want to ride that mustache? No, that looks like it itches. Ride that mustache That's like a Yoshi. Uh, anyway, let's... let's uh, let's get to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> you know what we're covering today because, uh, assumingly, you already listened to last week's podcast. Which and if will... you didn't, you're going to be hella confused. Yeah, because although There's that... a lot to this. Yeah, that podcast was super dense, but honestly, it's what leads up to this, which is all of the interesting shit that happens with Michelle Sindona. Yes. That's uh, the fun part. Yeah, this is where it gets like... Crazy. Yeah, it, it does. It gets pretty wild. Uh, I think no one even died in the last in the last episode. That's the thing. Correct. It's like a lot Someone of people. Died. A lot of people die in this one. A lot of people die. I don't. You know. I think there's been something wrong with me lately because you keep telling me I say and do things and then I don't remember saying and doing them. So. You gotta go back and listen to the podcasts because yeah, you say a lot. Of, you say no, a he, lot. Yeah, of shit. he said something the other day. And he's like, when you said this, I was like, dude, I don't remember that. So I don't think anybody died <laughs> in the last episode. What a good non sequitur. Yeah, no, no one died <laughs> in the last episode. Uh, <laughs> But uh, where we left off, uh, someone had just tried to take Michel Sindona's life uh, yes. while he was in Geneva uh, above his bank that he owned there, Finnebank. Uh, someone, Finnebank. Sh- someone showed up in the middle of the night and was like, come with me if you want to live. And, oh, yes, yes. Like, that's took him across the off. river, came back, all his locks were snapped. He's like, Mer. I don't want to die. Took him down the river. You know what they say, Kishan? When the Red River's flowing, take the dirt road home. That's a that's a fucker in the butt joke that you just said that does yeah. not relate to this at all. You're right. I just wanted to say it. Awesome. Cool. Uh, <laughs> you're such a keeper. I know. I love to derail things, and that's <laughs> that's my job here. That's why you hired me? Well, I get paid the big bucks. Yeah. Uh, I, I I pay Nina with uh, helping of uh, gratitude once every other week. Hey, you know what he pays me in? Not writing me up at work. <laughs> 
That's fair. So far. Yeah. It only goes so far now. If you, if you like, I don't know, uh, pull down your pants and make your butt talk like Ace Ventura, like, to a customer, like, I'll have to write you up for that. I just want yeah, you to know Yeah, but imagine that. the tip. <laughs> <laughs> it's so unfair, because if I did that to a table... It depends on who it is. Auto-arrested. Um, that's not true, because Kashan had a lady admirer who used to sit at the bar who loved his butt. Yeah, well, she didn't see my gorilla cheeks, Okay. She liked his dump truck ass. It looks it looks better in a pair of pants. I don't know. I've never seen it. I can call your girlfriend in here. No, or we're not ass. we're not asking her yes, We're not asking her what she thinks of my bear ass, okay? Right. And th- I mean that in both both, ter- both ways of bear. <laughs> um Anyway, this is about the time that Michel Sindona decides that he um, just wants to... He already got the fuck out of Italy, he right? Did. Because he got the socialists were uh, coming for him, you know? Uh, and now he has to get out of Geneva because literally someone tried to kill him. Which is weird because it's Switzerland and it's a neutral country. See, everyone says that they're neutral in wars, but, like, they make the Swiss Guard, which is, like, the people who protect the Pope and shit. So they, they got an army, bro. They do. And an everyone, army with clogs on. And, like, everyone owns a gun there, I'm pretty sure. I, I would have to ask everybody there to make sure that that's accurate. Every single person but, in Switzerland, um, you're going to go up, be like, be like well, hey, you just said do you want a gun? It's like, well, <laughs> I, don't, I was about to try and do a Swiss accent. I was, uh, I was about to murder it. You know, one time in a show, I think I had to do a Swedish accent, which is not Swiss. No. And it was bad. Like Horga Florgen. I was like, hello, my name is Helga. Oh. I'm yeah. Sweden. Look at me. My milk jugs are just so heavy. They are so heavy and so full of milk. Can you help me? Oh, man. Please? Oh, trained actor, Nina Kern. Yeah. <laughs> it was not one of my... You know what? That job was fun, though. We're running the gamut of dialects tonight, though. I love it. You got... We you're, are. you're Italian. You're... Uh, Swedish, Swedish question mark um, right. but he Michelle Sindona decides to get the fuck out of Switzerland also and decides to come to where the land of opportunity the United States of America <laughs> and uh, he already had ties here if you remember he bought the brown paper company he did uh, he knew uh, the main guy his name was like I'm forgetting at the at the time is like Buckland something stupid. Uh, he was the he was the like owner of Gulf and Western that oh. also owned like Paramount Pictures, yes. of which made The Godfather. Yes, which is funny. And Michel Sindona hated The Godfather. So we've already talked about his alleged ties to the mafia. Which literally, if you look up anywhere online, it's just like he was working for the mafia. Uh, so far, though, in literally all of the articles I've read in this whole book, it never actually says explicitly that he worked with the mafia. He knew some mafia people, and he does admit that every bank, basically, in Italy is laundering money for the mafia. Yeah. Um, he says he doesn't. I definitely don't. I mean, you own a bank. You're probably doing it, even without he, knowing. He probably did. It's clearly not the only thing that he was doing. Yeah. Especially because, um, like, they say that he was involved specifically in the heroin trade, which was really big at the time, which is what all the mafia was making their their dirty money on, that they'd have to launder it anyway. But it's just, I don't know. The way he talks about drugs and shit is, like, he doesn't like 
drugs. He's like, he even says he's like, the people running the banks that launder the money are the real criminals. And but all the cops just keep arresting like the fringe people, which we talked about last week. Well, that's just how it is in any sort of drug ring, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the people using, it's the people selling. Like, on the street, those are the people who get in trouble. This is why we have the whole podcast, because it's like, these people who are higher up, these people that deserve to get in trouble, don't ever actually get yeah. into trouble. Because they're, the they're the ones that fuel they're it. They're the perpetrators. Mm -hmm. But it's the people on the other side who are addicted and who are using and who are just trying to make a living who get in trouble. Now, yeah. should you go get heroin and do it? No! Maybe some other people should get in trouble. I'm thinking about it. No, okay, I'm going to go with the stance, don't do heroin. Yeah, you don't do heroin. I mean, I had to think about it. Like, you know, obviously it's bad for you. As someone who grew up in Ohio, don't do heroin. A lot of heroin in Ohio? There's, yeah, we have a huge opioid problem and a lot of... Hashtag America. Yeah, we, but we have a really bad problem and um, lots of heroin overdoses. Uh, so don't do it. See, uh, in Arizona, meth. A lot of meth. Yeah, we do that too, but heroin's the big one. I was say, now that shit, I will say. I have so many friends from high school who are, like, in jail for meth now. Yeah, it's insane how many people I know who are in jail. So my mom actually got foot surgery recently. I know this has nothing to do with me. Okay. But she got a pink pump in her leg, and then it ran out. And I was like, well, didn't they give you, like, Vicodin or something? She's like, no, I said no opioids. I don't want any painkillers. And I was like, well, you know someone who has some if you need it. Is it? Who? Who? Is Anyone. It? <laughs> She's in Ohio. Okay, that's fair. It's two phone calls away. Just like, hey, bro, you got some oxys? Like, you know how just they say the everyone street? in the world is six degrees of separation from each other? Mm -hmm. In Ohio, you're two degrees of separation from heroin. Oh, I thought you were going to say everyone is within one degree of separation and that um, one degree is heroin. Yeah. <laughs> Now, heroin personal experience, I know I've got it. If heroin is like one of those, I am definitely two degrees of separation. Now, I don't, I don't mean to play devil's advocate, but maybe heroin is just the common thread that ties all Ohioans together, Nina. It's something they all have in common, well, and I think that's beautiful. You know, <laughs> the uh, overdose record is way better than any sports record we've ever held in Ohio, so. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. But I'm yeah. not wrong. I'm not wrong. All right, anyway, Michelle Sedona, he comes to New York. Yeah, he comes uh, to America, and uh, he knows this guy by the last name of Tish. And basically, Michelle Sedona wants to get into banking in America because his his hopes for an international power bank in Italy were shot down by the socialists. So he wanted to do something like that in America where he foresaw less stops to it, you know. And this guy Tish just happened to own um, a majority uh, control in the Franklin National Bank in yes. New York, which is on Long Island. It's a very old bank. And Tish was wanting to sell this. So Michel Sendona... Uh, approached him and ended up buying uh, his shares for $40 million. Big old chunk of change. Big old chunk of change. Uh, even for Michel Sindona, which had a shit ton of money at this time. So he acquires Franklin National Bank and now he's the owner of it. And he finally gets to realize his international uh, banking dreams. And it is around this time that he uh, brings over someone he knows to help him 
run the bank, be on the board of directors. And this person is the person that he started Money Rex with, mm-hmm. which we talked about last time, who is, is a little bit shady. He uh, likes to gamble in foreign yeah. currencies. And his name is Carlo Bordoni. Uh, so he brings uh, Bordoni bro on over onto the team. And Bordoni found love. He did. The love of his life, even though he was already married. <laughs> But he found another one. I mean, you know, though. You know when you f- you find it. You know, Johnny Depp famously says, if you fall in love with the second person, you're obviously in love with them. Because if you were actually in love with the first one, you would never fall in love with the second one. Which is a shitty quote. <laughs> I'm glad that you decided to say it again, then. <laughs> it's just, I find it a, as a funny quote, because I do know a lot of people who are like, well, if you actually, like, I... I've had friends who have used that quote, and I'm like, yeah, but... It it simplifies a really complicated matter. It, it does, and it's also like, oh, shit got hard, and it's easy with this person? I don't love you anymore. It's like my dad died. I'm sad. You're going to leave me? Because now you love someone else? Is this, like, an experience that you're... Nope. This is very specific. Nope, my dad is alive and well. Huh? Okay. He has lost a lot of weight. He's really skinny right now, but that's besides the point. Doesn't look good. But anyways. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My mom sent me a picture of him today. I was like, do you just not feed him? Like, what is going on? Anyway. Maybe he just, like, switched from, like, bush to bush light. You don't know. He could have. He could have taken those <laughs> calories. So anyway, Bardoni falls in love with this woman named Virginia. And there's a bunch of shit. Stuff. around this so Michelle Sindona doesn't like Virginia because he says that Carlo Bordoni changed when he's with Virginia and that Virginia is money hungry yeah. and that's the only reason she's there and then Carlo Bordoni and Virginia start not liking Michelle Sindona because she says that Michelle Sindona raped her yeah she said he <laughs> tried to rape her which like I'm all about believing the survivor mm-hmm. um but there's a lot of he said, she said in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is from like decades later. So it's kind of hard to suss out for us. Because in this book, we're only getting Michelle Sindona's side. side. Yeah. Um, and there's no, like we and were I, talking about last week, we can't find anything on Carlo Bordoni. So there's no fucking records right, right. From, from his side or from Virginia's side. We just don't know. Right. Exactly. Um, but... He did say some really shitty stuff. Yeah. yeah. So they, so she was like, hey, this guy raped me. And he was like, he said that uh, she, I wrote this down. Uh, anyway, he calls her. He's like, I would have never raped her. She looks like a pig. Yeah, which is really and fucked up. it's <laughs> like, all right, dude. Okay, Donald Trump. Yeah, that's like exactly something it, Donald Trump well, said about. He has said those exact words before. Yeah, I, I forget. Yeah. Rosie O'Donnell a pig. That's right. And then that one woman who was like, hey, he, this man assaulted me, Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, he, he was, was like, like look at her. He's like, yeah. look at her. Who would assault her? Fuck Which, up. like, uh, ugly people get assaulted every day. Believe people. Yeah. Like, uh, it's so, especially because people, people in power know that they could say that if anything came up. So, like, the, it, it's, more, it's more of a power thing. It's not even about attraction a lot of the time for people like that. I oh, correct. It's a power. It, it's always, I mean... Arguably, that is always about power. Mm-hmm. 
you're asserting your power over someone that you think you can assert your power over mm-hmm. one way or another. And it's fucked up and not okay. And uh, Michelle Stone is a piece of shit, so I'm going to say he did it. <laughs> Man, hot take. Uh, white collars, red hands. We don't support rape. No, we don't. So if, you, if you're here thinking that we supported rape, you're wrong. You're wrong. If you rape people, don't listen to our podcast. Yeah, fuck off. Or do, maybe, because then maybe after hearing this, you'll stop doing that. And also, fuck off, though. You should be in prison. You should <laughs> at the minimum. Uh, but that aside, once they get married... That is around the time that Carlo Bordoni, who is controlling a lot of the assets uh, through Money Rex, starts taking money from that's supposed to be coming into uh, Michelle Sindona uh, and the company from there, and he starts embezzling it into his own numbered accounts. Yes. Yeah, uh, Sedona says that Virginia turned Bordoni into a thief, and she's paid again. Yeah, he really liked he to hit that really on. It's like, she was fucking ugly. He's like, like she's a pig. Saying. It's his only <laughs> insult that he knows. Um, but whether it was Virginia's fault or not, whatever, whatever, we do know that Carlo Bordoni was stealing money from Michelle Sindona and from the company and putting into these Swiss accounts yes. uh, that were numbered in a way uh, at this time. And this is before he... Uh, brings him over to the Franklin National Bank yes. uh, in New York. Which is interesting that he even brought him into the bank situation, considering all this happened. Yeah, which is going to be a thing. Yeah. Because basically, uh, at the bank, they hire on this guy named uh, Schreiber, who came in and ended up like like picking through their books and arguing with everyone about like, you're doing shit wrong. You're doing shit wrong. So Michel Sindona had to like come back, and it turns out that he basically got hired at the company so that he could do his own his own investigation with air quotes like into the company. Interesting. Because he was like, "Oh man, something's up. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go peep this shit." Um, Is and, that what the kids say these days? Yeah, peep I, that shit. Yeah, I think so. They peep that shit. Uh-huh. Uh, so. So he comes in and he starts kicking up all this shit, right? And because he kicks up all this shit, uh, Michel Sindona gets a call because he's usually away. He's still, like, he's in Italy doing shit. He's not usually at the bank. Yeah, even though he he owns it. He just owns the majority stock. So he gets a call to come back from the the president, uh, Gleason. He's like, hey, we just found six million dollars in losses in the in the financial trade department come back so he gets back and he's like what he's like what the fuck like like how do we lose this much money and then they start digging farther into the financial records and one of them comes up and is like it's like oh man i found some more unreported transactions like transactions that were done but never reported to their accounting departments uh so that they never got on the books that were losses, so they were losses that were never conveyed to the shareholders of the bank. So they think they made money when they didn't, oh, kind of thing. What does that sound like? A bunch of people. Yep. <laughs> you got someone specific in mind? I was just thinking of the Ponzi scheme. Basically, yeah, and this I is. I mean, I know this isn't a Ponzi scheme, but it is like lying to your shareholders, making them think that they have money that they don't have. Like we've talked about actually in a lot of episodes. 
Yeah, and more what, than one. More what, than just you know, more than just the actual Ponzi scheme mm-hmm. that we talked about. This is like this is unfortunately very common. Yeah, and we're going to talk about more of like this almost specific thing next week. Uh, we, oh, yes, when, yes, when yes. we talk about something that I won't spoil here, but we're going <laughs> but we're yeah. going to talk specifically more about this this kind of way to cover up some shady dealings of a company where you make transactions and then don't report them to your accounting so that they're not publicly reported on any of the uh, the quarterly like documents and shit. But what they did is they ended up digging through all of these transactions and finding get guess how much in losses they found. Ten million dollars. More. $240 million. Okay, way less. $24 million. A little bit more. 26 A little more. 28 A little more. 32 It's $30. Ah, you, you overshot it. I don't want to play the game anymore. They found $30 million in unreported losses from... That's so much money. I know. Like, oof. This is this is Especially crazy. in the 80s. Like, okay, $30 million is still a lot of money. Like, this is actually in the 70s. 70, 70. Yeah, this is like 76. 76. Yep. This happened. He, didn't, he ended up not going to prison until the 80s, but this That's is 76 right. and it was That's actually right. happening. And they come up with all this and they are like, they're fucked, basically. Totally and fucked. they know they're fucked because they've been borrowing money from like the Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. you know, uh, right after this. Because I, I think they tried to borrow money to make the money back yeah. real quick. So they're borrowing all of this money from the Federal Reserve yep. at like a discount from the government because the government will like give loans to banks that need it to try and get them back on their feet before they go down. Because if a bank fails, it's like really shitty for yeah, the yeah, American economy. And they're like trying to fix it. And they just keep putting themselves more and more into debt. And this is where I'd like to say that Michelle Sindona doesn't take any responsibility for knowledge that this was happening. And right. and I'm very unsure at this because here's the thing. Uh, all of the losses came in the uh, international financial market. So all of the losses came from investing in foreign market foreign uh currencies right which is exactly what carlo bordoni what got fired for yes from his Citibank position like way long ago yes. before he met michelle Tendone in the first part the the first part and we know that carlo bordoni was already stealing money from michelle Sendona. so was was he doing it or was he not i don't know uh, or mean, did did he know? I I feel like he ended up finding out and covering it up. Yeah. I don't think he knew about it right away. And I would be shocked yeah. if he found it right away because it was a bunch of unwritten reports, like undocumented reports. Mm-hmm. And then they found they're like, "Where's this missing money?" If he, that's what makes me kind of think he didn't know. He wasn't there all the time. He they told him later. I think he ended up finding out about it and was like, I'm already in hot water. Mm-hmm. And maybe didn't do anything about it, it. Because at this point, we already know all of the mafia allegations are big. Right. Um, the socialists in Italy uh, aren't <laughs> happy with him, you know. Right. Uh, so he, he's off doing stuff. We, and we, we said that quote about him, like, trading like a tiger last time. Like, he's, right. always, he's always doing shit. Yeah. So I feel like it just would have been hard for him to keep this whole financial empire going. 
like by himself. We know that other people knew it was happening or at least were complicit in it, but it just seems hard uh, for him to have done it. Right. But nevertheless, um, his bank is now like ugh, like hundreds of millions in debt and they lose enough capital to be able to uh, keep afloat. Right. So they, they go into something called insolvency, which is basically like where a bank can't even pay back the amount of money I that they owe to people. declare... What's it called? Insolvency! I declare insolvency! So basically at the time in, uh, I think it was 1976, this is the largest bank failure to ever happen in America. We will have more to come though in the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean... Uh, when a bank fails, I mean, that's why back in the recession, they talked about banks being too big to fail. Right. Because it's like if you literally have these big banks like Goldman Sachs or uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, like those banks are so big that if they go down, it would like tank the American economy because they have so much capital invested in things that if they if all of their uh, assets become liquidated at once, it would like fuck the American economy. Like that's how big they are. They shouldn't be allowed to get that big. No. No one, no one company should tank the entire country. See, here's the thing. It's like, yeah, no. It, it, it's just it's such hard a yeah. It's such it's a already happened. It's such a delicate balance to walk because we've already talked about what making like private banks is like mm-hmm. when we talked about Enrico Cuccia and right. Mediobanca in Italy and how state-run banks are not better, mm-hmm. but like that's how you would keep it from private banks being so big to do it. Right. It's just really it, it's really difficult the way that economies are set up right now. It's stupid. But so this bank collapses and. All the news of this hits Italy and, like, finances and stuff. And his banks in Italy are basically, like, all banks in the Great Depression. People are fire, like, withdrawing all their money at once from the bank. Yeah, and making everything tight. Par- partners are pulling out all at once. So both of those banks also crumble under this weight. Especially because... Don't do that. What? Don't just go pull all your money out of the bank. No. Not a good idea. If everyone else is pulling their money out of a bank, like, this is literally what causes, like, so this, recessions. This was funny. When I, uh, when the pandemic first hit, mm-hmm. I was, like, I was spiraling. Like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is going to be the Great Depression 2.0. And I even remember saying to somebody, I was like, should I just go take all my money out of the bank? They were like... That's literally why the Great Depression happened. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, pl- plus your money is now insured by the FDIC if it's in a bank. Right. So, so you will not lose your money if a bank goes under. It's not like it's that much money. You know, yeah. You're going to pull out that like that like 800 bucks you got, Nina? Okay, I have a little more than that. 900 bucks. 910. <laughs> oh, gotcha. gotcha. Um, <laughs> thankfully, it's a little more than that. But uh, anyways, don't, we're not going to keep playing that game. Don't pull all your money out and don't hide it under the mattress because then if the house burns down, you're out of money. Yeah. And so, like, in the matter of not very long, Michel Sindona goes from one of the richest people in the world, on top of the world, the biggest banker in Italy, and uh, one of the biggest, breaking into one of the biggest bankers in America to basically nothing. Almost all of his enterprises crashed. What a boner killer. 
the only thing that's up still is the Banco Ambrosiano, who was led by uh, his... Uh, what what is it? It's not a mentee. Like who do you mentor? What's the name of the person? You're not a pupil. His his student. He, let's just say Padawan. His sure. his Padawan. Uh, <laughs> Roberto Calvi, who we talked about last episode, is running Banco Ambrosiano, um, and it's about this time that Roberto Calvi comes to him and he talks about. Uh, this is also the time that uh, he gets a call. From Carlo Bordoni, mm-hmm. and he wants to like talk to him specifically about what happened with the bank. He's like, they say that they have all these losses, um, but I I didn't approve them. My name's not on it. And he's like, I don't want to talk on this line. And he's like, I didn't approve it. I didn't like. He kept trying to say it, and uh, they think that um, Carlo Bordoni was like working with investigators at this time. Oh, I'm sure he try, was. Trying to get Michel Sindona. Yeah, and his, I'm sure, I'm sure the wire was tapped. Yeah, because here's the thing. The investigation into this bank failure will last for years. Right. Years. And uh, Michel Sindona is the last one to get Sindona. charged in it. Oh, yeah, to get charged, yeah. So there's, they start charging everyone else. So Carlo Bordoni gets charged at one point. And... Uh, the other Gleason gets charged. All of the the board of directors gets charged in this bank fraud um, and securities fraud. And they got all of them basically to flip. They they offered them all reduced sentences if they if they flip on everybody else. So they're all trying to get people to flip on Michel Sindona. And Carlo Bordoni was one of them. Carlo Bordoni actually ended up in the witness protection program. For a little bit, uh, because of because for of his ties, bit. I don't know if it's forever. I thought it was forever. You can get out of the witness protection program if, like, the person you're going after gets incarcerated or they think the threat has ended. You get out of witness protection. I always wanted, you know what? I'm gonna blame the Mary Kate Ashley movie about for this, but I always <laughs> wanted to be in the witness protection program. I thought it was so cool. I didn't know this. The U.S. Marshals provide 24-hour protection to all witnesses. I didn't know that either. That's according to the U.S. Marshals.gov. Why would they lie to me? Wow, I can't wait to read about this later. And, and I just went to, I'm about to go down a bill rabbit hole. And, like, in Italy, Sindona wanted to sell the Banco Privata Italiana to get, like, some of his... Like save some of his assets and keep the bank afloat. Like if someone right. else bought it, they could keep it afloat. And literally, when he tried to sell it to someone, uh, one of the one of the uh, state-run money institutions that approves these kind of things denied it. Yeah, they're like, I'm not gonna let you do that. And, and basically, that was Enrico Cuccia sweeping in and denying it and letting the bank fail, which not only hurt the Italian economy but hurt this other bank. You know, that was going to get something out of it and it was, hurt Michel Sindona. Just just because basically Enrico Cuccio fucking like, hated this guy. Yeah, yeah he's like, ah, I don't like you. I'm going to fuck up the entire economy. Yeah, so he's like, meh. Meh. Fuck you. Uh, Sucks to suck. Which is just so fucking crazy. In America, after all this happens, everyone else is getting prosecuted, uh, is getting indicted, is getting brought into court. And Michel Sindona has another few years of freedom. Yeah. You know, uh, which he won't have forever. This is white college red hands. Obviously, he gets convicted at some point. Wait, what? I know. Uh, and it's this time that one of the craziest things in this whole story 
happens. All right, so uh, Michel Sindona just knows a bunch of powerful people. We've he already does. we've already talked about he that. He just knows them. And he meets this guy. Uh, you may have heard of him. His name is Chiang Kai Shek. He was the leader of China before uh, Mao Zedong came in and made it a communist okay. state. Uh, he just he meets him and he's talking with him. I don't even know how. He just knows people. That's what being rich does. He's like, oh, I just uh, bumped into him at the gas station. <laughs> he was there. He's like fucking Jerome Jacobson meeting uh, Jerry Colombo just like at, yeah, at, at a airport. fucking airport. Like, yeah. It was a, oh, my God. Aren't you Chiang Kai-shek, the former leader of China? Oh, my God. He's like, oh, yeah, you know what I am. Don't make a big deal, okay? <laughs> I'm riding coach. They ousted me. People are looking to assassinate me. Uh, he meets him, and he says that there's a friend he has who might be able to help him, who might be able to help Michel Sindona. He knows someone powerful, even more powerful than those people. And this, How much power do you need? I don't know. Is he part of the Illuminati? Like, what the fuck? Almost. Might as well be. Almost, because he's talking about Licio Jelly, who introduces Michel Sindona to the Masonic Society. Okay. Freemasons are just scary. Yeah, man. They're weird. Yeah. It's terrifying. They they like they just believe it's so weird. And they're like it's so culty. Yeah, it seems it like when you're thinking about it, it seems fake. Yeah. Right? It seems like this is fake, but it is fact. It's super real. So, yeah, it's I, super real. So, um, in Ohio, there's a lot of people who are Freemasons. I do not personally know anybody like that. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, I know that that guy's a Freemason. But it's always like, again, like heroin. It's always like a two degree of separation. Like I know someone whose grandpa was a Freemason. Like my best friend, my best friend's grandpa was a Freemason. Or like they would talk about it. Like I remember one time at school, something about Freemasons came up, and my tutor, because I was a dumb kid, I had a tutor, went to the tutor room. She was like, oh, yeah, my dad was a Freemason. And somebody was like, oh, yeah, my dad's a Freemason. And I remember at the time, like, not thinking that that was that weird because I had heard so many people say, oh, yeah, I'm a Freemason. And now I look back and I'm like, that's not cool. Well, And you know who else were Freemasons? Almost everyone who signed the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. I mean, did you watch National Treasure? <laughs> Okay, maybe that's not a primary source for knowledge because I'm assuming that there's not a map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. You're fucking wrong, Kishan. Uh, all right. Prove me wrong, Nana. Show me the map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. We're going to break in and I will show it to you. It's an invisible ink. Yeah, all we got to do is put it in the oven. Uh Uh-huh. Some lemon juice. Yes. I've seen it. Exactly. That's exactly what you So, I actually have a Freemason story that I really want to... So, a couple years ago, my roommate and I, we worked this convention in Schaumburg. Now, for those of you that don't know, Schaumburg's like an hour-ish outside of Chicago. I don't fucking know. And uh, we were working at an event at this big convention center, so we decided to get an Airbnb instead of uh, driving back to Chicago and having to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get there by 6. So, I'm going to tell a short version of the story. We go to this guy's house for this Airbnb, right? And he's being really weird. The whole time he's being weird. Okay. And he's like, you know, my house is your house. Except don't, don't touch my computer. He's like, don't fucking touch my computer. And we're like, well, you've got some weird shit on your computer. Which, like, why would I touch your computer? And then he's like, 
following us to our room and I'm like can you leave and he's like you know you guys are safe here you don't have to worry about your safety you don't have to lock the door but the door does have a lock on it but you don't need to worry about your safety and I'm like you know what makes me feel really unsafe you telling me that you don't need to lock your fucking door yeah yeah and he's like I have so much respect for women blah 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 he's like you know why I have so much respect for women you know why and he lifts up his the arm of his like the the arm of his shirt the sleeve and he, he's like, I'm a Freemason. And he had a Freemason tattoo on his arm. And then he like turned his other arm to his right arm, and he lifted the, the sleeve. And he's like, you know what this is? And I was like, no. He's like, Knights Templar. He was oh weird. But, I mean, you can always trust that when a person says that they really respect women, that, that, they, that, that they do. That's how you tell, actually. If a man is going around saying, I respect women... They always respect women. Always. No, <laughs> by the way, he was yelling at his dog that was a female. I don't think he respected her. Oh, really? Poor Pebbles. My God. But this this fantasy scenario that this random B&B, Airbnb owner believes became reality for Michelle Sendona because Lichio Jelly ran one of the most popular... Uh, Popular, not popular. One of the largest. Yeah, the uh, Masonic. One of the largest um, Masonic lodges. Yeah, I don't, I don't a fucking lodge. know a Masonic lodge in Italy called Propaganda Do or P two, for short. It's where do they come up with these names? I don't fucking know. They think they're cool as shit. They like always talk. Propaganda Do. They gotta like wear robes and like touch each other's dick and balls or some shit, and that it's makes balls them. And dick, but okay. Okay, balls and dick, and they that makes them it's fucking like an eyes wide shut situation. Masons and shit. I don't fucking know how it works. I'm not a mason. Well, you if you really cared about this podcast, you would have joined the Freemasons just so you could give us more sight on the Freemason. I don't. Where do where do you're right, Nina? I should just go down to the local <laughs> the local Mason lodge here and just walk in and be like, "Hey, I'd like to join." How the fuck am I supposed to do that? I have a place that I think there might be Freemasons. Is it a mental institution? No! It's a restaurant near here, and it's really weird and super white supremacist. I went there on accident. It's another story for another time, but I'm sure someone there is a Freemason. Anyway, I'm not going to go there because you've talked such a big game about it, but I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to tell you where it is, not on this podcast because I don't want us to get sued, but I'll tell you later so you never go. Great. Uh, so Lichio Jelly runs this, and he is – the biggest thing for me that shows his power is that he helped uh, Juan Peron, who was the Argentinian dictator who – Heavy on the dick. Yeah. What? Uh, who <laughs> – who ended up getting exiled, and he, like, harbored him for a little bit, and then brought him, helped him get back to power in Argentina. So, basically, Licio Jelly is, like, a pro-fascist, so he's far, far, far right-wing, uh, a pro-fascist who helps set up fascist governments and hates communism so much that he would rather have a dictator. He didn't get hugged enough as a child. No. But, I mean, he's also fucking rich because he does this shit, so. He knows a lot, he knows a lot... A lot, a lot, of, a lot of powerful people. And Michel Sendona's like, okay, this is cool. Um, he actually, <laughs> he was like helping him uh, and like funding him for like some anti-communist projects. Because obviously uh, Michel Sendona also hates communism and socialism because it's anti-capitalism and he's a big capitalist. So he's in it and uh, Lichio Jelly sends him a P2 membership card, which I think it's stupid. They have membership cards like it's a fucking Costco. Like it's uh, like it's uh, the, the LA Fitness. 
Yeah. You get three free times to come. You get a guest pass. They like yeah, they, they punch, punch it. it. Uh, and he's like, you know what? Uh, I kind of I, I don't want to do this. He didn't sign it. Like you have to like sign it and shit. I don't know. Uh, but he's like, thanks, but thanks. no thanks. But his friend Roberto Calvi, who is the leader, who is the president of Banco Ambrosiano in Italy, was like, "Fuck yeah!" He was like sucking Licio Jelly's dick over this shit. He was so interested because if you remember, Roberto Calvi is like this really like meek guy who came to show and was like, "Mr. Sindona, please, will you help me get in charge of my brain?" I just want to be in charge. I just want to be a powerful well, of man. Of course, love that shit. Yeah, so he was like, "Oh, yeah. oh my god, yes." Is power, yeah. So he joins up fucking immediately. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm getting into that shit. He's like, I want power. I want it. I want all this shit. And they did this whole campaign where in South America, like, Roberto Calvi bought up all of these newspapers there. Like, through Benko Ambrosiano, he bought a bunch of the news outlets, and he was trying to pump anti-communist like propaganda through the news and he was literally getting like death threats yeah, to stop obviously from like people in governments he was basically dealing way outside of where he should have it's like dude stick with banking y- yeah he like, was... what are you doing it's yeah and he came to Michelle Sondona and he's like he's like I'm just going to keep doing the uwu voice for him. He's like, Michelle Signona, I, I bought a bunch of newsy woozy papers down in South America, and now they want to, like, cut off my testicles and put them in my mouth. What do I... I mean to. What do I do? And Michelle Signona's like, sell the fucking papers, you idiot. Uh, he He's t- like, wow, that took me 45 seconds to figure out. Yeah. Sell the goddamn papers. Which Roberto Calvi did not do, He's by like, the way. <laughs> What if I didn't? Though? He's like, but I want to stop communism, Mr. Sindona. It was also at this time that, uh, so Carlo Bordoni, for the first time, fucking disappears. Yes. He just runs off. And they're like, where the fuck did he go? He was, he was missing for like three years and ended up in like Venezuela. And they fucking, they brought him back to a, they brought him back to America and charged him. Yeah, they're like, uh, hey, what are you doing? And that's when he was like, okay, okay, uh, I'll flip, basically. And th- at this point, Michel Sendona is like, he's lost almost all of his money. He's like doing small real estate deals, like in New York. Because he's still doing stuff at this time because he's not indicted yet. Right. You know, but like he's lost all of his banks and shit. Right. And a lot of the companies that he acquired, he acquired through his banks. Uh like and even his holding company like couldn't keep up anymore because a lot of those were done in like with his banks as like a middle a yeah, middle like person. A middle ground. So or a middle man. Yeah. And he's like uh this is about the time that he meets uh Johnny Gambino, like one of the one of the big Leaders in the Gambino family, which if you remember, we already mentioned it. Uh, uh, Colombo, Gennaro yeah. Colum- Colombo, Jerry Colombo. Now we're talking about uh, Gambino. the Gambinos, which is Not another one of the five families. Not to be confused with Childish Gambino. But so Micho Sindona uh, gets into contact with them, and he kind of rubs shoulders with them. Like he meets at a party, and basically he's lost all of his other powerful friends quote unquote and this is like the most powerful friends that he can make at the time are these like mob bosses in New York kinda yeah so 
there's also some thought is like maybe if you are beholden to the thought that he was with the mafia previously that he was doing like in-depth deals with the mafia where he was really knowledgeable with them they knew him he knew them even though we've already talked about some shoulders they tapped all those mafia's phones and they never mentioned him like once in like thousands of phone calls that the fbi tapped but if you if you are beholden to that thought then maybe he already knew him or maybe not i don't know but we know that he knows him now and it's about this time that um some threats end up happening. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to be able to be involved in this kind of stuff and not have a threat. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, of, one of the first ones that get threatened is uh, Enrico Cuccia. Actually, he, he just gets these really sinister calls that they'll I call him. I just kind of don't feel bad for him. I still don't like Enrico Cuccia. We've already talked about it. He's a it's fucking like, dick. It's like you like help direct the economy. No one feels sorry for you. And... Here's the thing. He might be lying even. I don't think he is because there's other threats that happen to other people. But they were basically like, you better back the you better back the fuck off, uh, Michelle Sindona. You know, and, and I guess when it, whoever called him had a, had a heavy Brooklyn accent. He spoke in Italian, but he had a Brooklyn accent in Italian, whatever well, that sounds like. Well, that's the mafia. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And also, at this time, uh, Giorgio Ambrosoli is the state-appointed liquidator of Michelle Sindona's banks at this time. So he's going in and he's writing up detailed reports about what he finds mm-hmm. in these banks. And uh, he writes this, God, it was like hundreds of pages report on it, which kind of has some damning evidence for Michelle Sindona and how his banks were operating. And Michelle Sindona says himself that, honestly, every bank in Italy runs this way. And now that's not an excuse no, 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 no. Because it is illegal the, what they're doing, how they're setting up companies. We talked about how to launder money, how they're right. doing, how they're setting up bearer bond companies and laundering money. It's really fucked up. And but I do believe him that probably every bank is doing it. Yeah, I'm sure they were, but so you need to have like a countrywide crackdown on this. You need right. to have people you in power that are really anti this. Yeah, um, but like Enrico Cuccio, we know was doing these same kind of shady things. Yeah, but. Uh, the, the State Department is still the one coming down on Michel Sindona at this time for having these shady dealings. And uh, Giorgio Ambrosoli uh, is also getting these calls. He gets two calls. Uh, one of them says, uh, like, you should die like a dog. What do they mean by that? I don't fucking know. Like, My dog like, growing up almost killed herself one time by sticking her head in a Quaker Oats, empty Quaker Oats container. We talked about that on the Richard Nixon episode. Oh, yeah. Is that what they meant? No. I or think did they, they mean, mean like, like Old Yeller? Like you get bit by a raccoon and then we have to take you in the backyard and shoot you. No. Anyway, I think what they're saying is like, you heard the phrase, you're going to die like a dog in the streets. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you should have a horrible death. I think it's from them when they used to have rabid dogs that would just run down streets like into Kill a Mockingbird and he fucking shoots it. Yeah. Like just in the middle like of the old street. Yeller. I think that's what they're talking about. And unfortunately, that came to pass. Uh, Giorgio Ambrosoli, the state-appointed liquidator for Michelle Sindona's assets, uh, was shot outside of his house. 6 a.m. one morning. This is after he finished the report, after he was being pressured uh, not to release the report by these threats. He's shot dead outside of his home. 
And that's murder number one. All this happens, and Michel Sindona will say that he knew that some of these calls were being made because in the Gambino family, these were gangsters who thought this is what he would want. Right. Uh, that he's saying that he didn't, which this could be just a lie. Right. Uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? It's, it, this it, is it, like he said. And he it, said. It, it probably is, but he said that they did it without him asking them to because they were like, no one fucks. Like, you know, no one fucks with us. We're, we're going we're gonna to call him and, yeah. and threaten him. And he basically says, Why, do I sound like I'd be that fucking stupid to literally send threats to someone who They're is like, directly investigating me? They're like, I don't know. You, you are Verdoni back. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty dumb. That is pretty dumb. Sounds like you'd want me to kill someone. <laughs> uh, and they, they know who killed Amber Soli. It was this guy by the name of Billy Amico or William Amico. He was a Brooklyn. He was from Brooklyn, actually. He flew to Italy to kill Ambrosoli and then come back. I wonder if he like even enjoyed his time in Italy. <laughs> you think he's you think he's like taking a trip to Venice and like going through the waterways oh, and licking here? some gelato in Rome, like by the Colosseum. He's like, hey, but too bad I gotta go kill that guy tomorrow because. Uh, I really wanted to go to Florence. I bet if you... You know what? I bet he enjoyed himself a little bit. <laughs> I mean, you're probably right. I would. If I was going to... Like, somebody's like, hey, go to the Bahamas, shoot someone. I'm like, mm, let me go to the beach real quick first. <laughs> you're, so your schedule is like, oh, man, I got... I got a Sunday hot stone. Two, hot got, stone massage at 2 Shoot a guy in the face at 3. I can squeeze that. Uh, you know, sure boat ride at four. <laughs> yeah, it's not like I haven't shot anyone a little tipsy before. So I can totally do this. It's shotgun. nothing new. Uh, but William Amico confessed to this. Like in, he was in prison for separate charges, and he like did that classic thing where he like fucking told his cellmate, he's like, "Yeah, I killed this. I fucking, I killed this guy. I was paid to go to Italy and uh, kill a guy. So what's up?" Like he's trying to brag. Uh, and then his cellmate was like, "Yeah, this guy. This guy says he killed a guy, and that he met Michelle Sindona at like a what fucking, a rat. He he met him at like a dinner party or something. Snitches get stitches. And here's the thing. So he did say that he met Michelle Sindona at a dinner party, but Michelle Sindona says he was never there. And William Amico flip flops his story like twice. So the first time he says, "Yes, I killed him," and Michelle Sindona asked me to do it. And then he told one of his, another one of his cellmates, yeah, I killed a guy, but he never told me to do it. I was told by someone completely separate, but I did meet Mattel Sindona's son like once in passing. And then he flipped back and said, no, Mattel Sindona is definitely the one who told me to do it. But this is also at all the time that like the FBI is coming to talk to him about it because they're, they're looking at convicting Michel Sindona in the Franklin Bank case and they think that this is interesting to them. So they're offering him... Well, like, yeah, like, whatever you can get on the guy, you're going to get on the guy. Yeah, they're, they're offering him, like, a lighter sentence for what he's already in there for for coming clean about, about this. So he sees an opportunity, so he could be lying. Right. You know? And this is also at the time that, like, Michel Sindona is facing extradition to Italy. Uh-huh. Because uh, they want to charge him in Italy for his banks collapsing right. there. You know? So he was in some hot water. Yeah, so some shit is going on right now, and he finally does get indicted in America over the Franklin, right? The Franklin bank Thanks failure. Right? They, they yep. get all of this information from everyone else, and they indict him. They bring him in on bank fraud, 
Uh, it was like a shit ton of counts, like nine. Oh, it was ninety nine. It was ninety nine counts, I believe, of bank fraud and other ninety nine counts of bank fraud and uh, bitch ain't one. <laughs> I thought you were gonna go ninety nine counts of bank fraud on the wall. Oh, ninety nine counts of no, bank fraud. No, not that annoying. Take one down. Invested incorrectly in a bear bond company in the Bahamas yeah, you have, uh, and hundred bank frauds <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> nice. I forgot what all everything you said. Uh, so he's getting indicted and he's getting investigated at this time actively and he's putting together a legal defense as supposedly during this whole time. This is what they always say, but he was like, I'm not going to get convicted. I'm totally fine. Like no one's ever going to believe that I did it. And before he shows up to like the first trial, he like posts bail and he pays the money. So he's out. He's still a free man at this time, even though he's awaiting his trial. He's walking down the street one day. Someone takes a picture of him, mm-hmm. like, strolling down the street. And then that's the last time he's seen for 10 weeks. Dun, dun, dun. So, Michelle Sendona, off the face of the earth. He, they, the FBI ends up getting sent pictures over this time of him, like, emaciated in a chair with a sign on his chest. Basically being, it, it said something along the lines of... Uh, we're going to be the ones who's going to be conducting the trial. And they were, they said that they were like a radical socialist group in Italy that wanted to harm him or whatever, whatever. And then he ends up showing back up just on the corner of a Manhattan, a couple of Manhattan streets, 10 weeks later with a bullet wound in his leg. And he calls from a payphone, tells someone where he is. Someone comes and picks him up. And, and he comes back. And this whole time, he's like, he missed his trial date. It was on, like, September 10th. It's in, like, October now. Right. And he's been he's been kidnapped for this whole time. And he comes, but he shows up with a fucking bullet wound. On I his think leg. the Freemasons did it. Well, we know who did it because... Because Because Michelle Sendona's the one who kidnapped himself. He faked it. Right. So that's why I think that his, um... That's why I think that his Freemasons were in cahoots. I mean, maybe they probably supposedly he met with Licio Jelly when he was over there. Because what what happened is he he got a fake passport. He wore a fake beard. I shit you not. He put on a fake mustache and beard and had it's a okay. passport under, under his name. I'm gonna pronounce this Yosef Yosef Bonamico, uh, and flew to Sicily. Where what exactly happened is debated, but most people think that he met with some of the Gambino crime family that was still in Sicily, and they were trying to. Dig up a bunch of dirt yeah. on, on all of his, like, all of the other people that he could dig up dirt on so that he could flip on people to reduce his sentence because he knew that things were going to be pretty bad for him right. there is, in America. There's no way that that was going to end well. <laughs> it's so stupid. So he comes back and he, they, he had him shoot him in the leg. Because He's like, he, you know what will make him believe me? Shoot me in the leg. That's exactly what it was. He's like, they're not going to believe me unless you shoot me in the leg. So just give her a go. Well, I'll slap a band on it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. And what they found out because he came back for his trial and they were about to rule on moving forward with the trial. And right as that happened, like the prosecutors came in and they were like, we need to talk to you, judge. And they like pulled him into a side room and they were like, we need to talk. (laughs) Sidebar. Sidebar. Uh, They pulled him into a room and they were like, yo, you fucking faked this kidnapping because they found his his fingerprints that they took at the airport matched. And they found the fake passport, like the picture, and they were like, that's just fucking Michelle Sendona. Dude, you couldn't have burned your fingers, like your fingerprints <laughs> off? 
You couldn't have worn some gloves. So fuck. this was before TSA, I'm sure. Like they didn't. So the judge basically came back and was like, "Yeah, no, fuck you. Uh, you're you no longer have bond. You're spending the rest of the time in prison because you literally faked your own kidnapping." So that was, and that would be the last free day that Michelle Sindona would have in his entire life. Loki deserves it. So he's beginning his trial. He is a lawyer, remember? So he's like helping his own defense. He has some of the best lawyers in New York, and they're trying to create this defense for him. Uh, but they kind of say that his own defense lawyer was pissed at him for the kidnapping thing. So literally, the the lawyer later was like, "Yeah, I didn't trust him after that." Uh, so his own law team is like, "Fuck this guy." I mean, I would feel the same way if I were them. Yeah, I bet. I'd be like, what? what? Like, ugh, you cheated on me. Yeah, it's very fucking stupid. And he, this is when he starts calling in, like, all the favors. He contacts Richard Nixon, who he met previously. Uh, he contacts Licio Jelly to see if he can help him. He contacts the Vatican. And He's the, like, hey, hey, Pope, Pope. Some of the cardinals from the Vatican do agree to give character witness for him. And it was this big buzz because everyone was like, literally this guy's going to have like cardinals show up to like vouch for his character in court. They molest kids. Like how can you trust them? This was in the, this was before all this. This was in the eighties though. So everyone like, everyone's still sanctified like the church. There wasn't, there wasn't all of this. uh, Abuse allegations. Yeah. Abuse stuff that came up. All of this. Yes. It's not allegations. It did happen. Yeah. Uh, There's not all of that yet. So this is a big thing. And the thing is though, is that they can't like it. They're forbidden to come into like and give testimony in an American court or in courts. So they were going to take a video testimony and then play it in the court. Selfie. But then literally, like, when they sent the FBI to go tape the testimonies of them, they get all the way there, and uh, Marcinkus, the president of the IOR, is there, and he's like, no, they're not doing it. We talked it over. They're not doing it. So they get all the way to, they let them come to the Vatican, and then they're like, nah. They're not going to do it. I hope they got to see the Sistine Chapel, at least. I mean, they were at the Vatican. I'm sure that they did. Why are you so worried about the vacation time of all of these people just just doing their job? This is just a lot of, you know, wasted time. (laughs) You know, I hope they got to enjoy themselves just a little bit. I'm sure they did, but it's not the point. So they... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they don't get it. They end up having to come all the way back empty-handed. And Michelle Sindona's furious over this. So now he's lost the respect of his legal counsel, the judge. He's also... Uh, and now God his... hates him. Yeah, and now God hates him. Everyone has turned their back on Michelle Sindona in his time of need, according to him. And they kind of did. They kind of like, fuck you. I um, deserved it, though. And that paired with Carlo Bordoni, right? They bring him up to testify at this trial. And they think that they've got him because they basically put their whole defense on that Carlo Bordoni was actually the one doing it because they knew that he was stealing from him. They knew that he had a past history of this. Um, And they knew that he was flipping on Michel Zendona to help reduce his own sentence. So he had even more incentive to lie. Right. So they bring him up, and this was the defense was like, we got it. Right. We're going to cross-examine him, 
and we're going to fuck his day up. And this is where we're going to prove that you weren't complicit in it, that he was actually the mastermind behind it. And he's just flipping on you uh, to save his own ass. Right. Basically. And it does not go the way they think. They had this whole thing where they were going to bring up the rape allegations against Virginia to paint him as a liar. But, and I guess supposedly they'd held like faux trials where they went through the questioning and they were like, this is great. No, this is going to go really well. We think we're going to get him on this. We think we're going to have him slip up. He is not going to sound genuine and that the jury is really going to take your side. Well, it turns out Carlo Bordoni was like, this is what kind of makes me think that it was real or at least he believed it was real because I guess he was like, they brought it up and he's like, yeah, he did this. And it was this really like gut-wrenching testimony that he gave about his wife getting raped. And it really, like, the jury was definitely on Carlo Bordoni's yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it's almost like when, uh, in the OJ trial, when they're like, yeah, try on the glove. It'll fit. Yeah, and he's obviously spreading his fingers apart. Yeah. Like, you're like, uh, yeah, that's why it doesn't fit, because no one puts on a glove with their fingers spread all the way apart. You. But it's just like, why would you bring something like that up? It's clearly not gonna help your case. Except for it did. Uh... <laughs> But well, for OJ, not Michelle Sondona. Right, right, right. That's what I mean. For, but, for Michelle Sondona. But yeah, so the jury 100% took his side. Uh, and at the end of this, they come back with the verdict guilty after like a couple days of deliberation. I'm surprised they took that long. There was a lot to it. We're glossing right, over it a right, lot. So, yeah. But those were the main points of maybe why he didn't win, you know? Right. And the judge ends up sending, sentencing him to... 25 years in prison, which is basically a life sentence for him because he's yeah. he's in his uh, 60s at this point. Right. But that's not the worst of his troubles because he's facing extradition to Italy. So they've already uh, tried him without him being there for the bank stuff, and they right. found him guilty. That's something you can do in Italy. I guess you can try someone without them actually being there. That's not a thing in America. You have to no. be there for your trial. So they tried him. They convicted him. He's already s- serving his time because the time he's serving in America is con- is concurrent with his time serving in right. Italy. But now they want to extradite him for the murder of Giorgio Ambrosoli. They say that he ordered his murder because they have Amico's testimony. And they want to extradite both Amico and Michel Sindona to Italy to face uh, trial for murder. And, and this time, Michel Sindona, as we talked about the first time, makes an attempt on his life. He, he tries to slit his wrists. We talked about them being superficial. He ends up he ends up getting extradited uh, to Italy. But Billy Amico, uh, at this time, tries to escape from prison. All these people, they're like, you know what? I can do it. I can do it. A lot of these people do escape from prison. But they do. Uh, Carlo Bordoni escaped from prison to go to Venezuela before he got brought back. Yeah. He tries to escape from prison, right? And I guess him and this this guy who in the book they literally just describe as his fat friend who had trouble getting through the window to get out are trying to escape. They get on the roof and someone notices them. So they like have their guns on them. So they try and like jump off of a they try to get off of a a roof. Yes. Like off the roof. <laughs> this is the stupidest way to die by the way. Uh Amico 
falls off the roof, right? And then his fat friend falls with him, and he gets crushed by his friend. He gets crushed to death by his fat friend that they were trying to escape. And with. that's why you don't escape from prison, folks. Yeah, and or at least if you're going to escape prison, I don't know, do some pull-ups first or something, like for yeah, a couple years. Yeah, make sure you're ready for the journey. You got to be svelte if you yeah. want to escape prison, or you can be Carlo Bordoni. I, either way. <laughs> so he's dead. <laughs> but uh, Michel Sandona does get extradited to face murder. So he he's in Italy. And around this time, Licio Gelli, one of his big friends, they there's a raid on his house. Because he is suspected to be involved with the Banco Ambrosiano, which is getting investigated right now at Roberto Calvi because they have... They're also doing some shady dealings. There's kind of just this crackdown on all these banks right now. So they raid his home and they find, for some reason, he just kept a list of everyone involved in P2. So he has just a list of like 962 members that are in it. That's so many people. And literally, it's so big that the government in Italy collapsed a couple of days after this came out. Because they were all part of it. Yeah, a bunch of them were part of it. They all got taken down. There were people, there were people in many different countries, uh, many different governments that were on this list that were all involved in like this this Masonic lodge of like conspiracy together. And Licio Jelly's like fuck. <laughs> he gets he gets arrested, and they find that. All of those, like a bunch of those members go into hiding and Licio Jelly himself escapes prison and at the conclusion of this book, no one has found him yet. So that's like eight years. Yeah. And uh, I don't think, I still don't think they found him. They did. Oh, that is right. That they, is right. They did. They found him also in Venezuela, 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 like a couple years after this book concludes and they bring him back. They charge him. He was in prison for eight and a half years with results to the bank fraud and everything that he was part of with the Banco Ambrosiano. Uh, but who's on this list but Roberto Calvi? Roberto Calvi, the leader of Banco Ambrosiano that they know he's doing shit with. Yep. And Roberto Calvi fucking knows he's done. He contacts the uh, Vatican because the Vatican has a lot of money invested through Benko Ambrosiano mm-hmm. to send these letters of comfort to all of their third-party companies that are going under in uh, tax haven countries. So all these bearer bond companies and, companies and things they set up. The Vatican on like Vatican letterhead like writes these like, like hey, everything's going to be okay, blah, 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 to these companies, Marcinkus, but he also... They're like, we talked to God personally, it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And he, but he gives these letters to the Vatican in return for them doing that, um, that absolves them of any knowledge of what they're doing there. And you can tell it's purposeful. So basically, Marcinkus, the head of the IOR, asked for this because he knew that everything was going to shit. And this was a last-ditch effort for Roberto Calvi to make things good right. and keep the bank from failing. Yeah. And this is what he had to do, is absolve the Vatican of any, any uh, inclusion I mean, I like in what was going on. if you're the Vatican, you get absolved anyway. Because then the whole religion oh crumbles. Oh, my God. Oh, I thought that was a pun. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> yeah, it was a pun. Oh, well, good. Uh, <laughs> but he also disappears. Right. He goes into hiding, right? And th- two days later, the entirety of Bengal Ambrosiano also goes insolvent. 
All of their companies go down and the Vatican is fucked because they now owe shareholders all of this money that was invested through that bank that they no longer have. They need to start praying. They ended up, so they they used those letters to deny involvement with those companies to try and not owe that money. Right. But they ended up settling for $250 million. So the Vatican settled. They never claimed any wrongdoing in it, even though we're pretty sure they... Yeah, they definitely did. Yeah, they knew what the fuck they were doing. They yeah. knew this was illegal. We know that they are, they're doing illegal uh, financial dealings anyway on their own. Yeah, they do it all the time. But they denied it. They settled outside of court for 200, $250 million, and it said that they only ever had a capital of about $200 million at one time. So the the IOR never has more than two hundred million dollars at most, and now they just settled for more than that. So that's how much money they had invested. That it was even more than two hundred fifty million invested, which means it's probably not like it wasn't money that they had. Right. Um. So they had to like they ended up having to go and borrow money from a bunch of people. It really fucked the Vatican financial system for a little bit. This whole thing. Um, Why do I not feel bad? Marcinkus stepped down. Obviously, uh, he ended up coming back to America. He lived in Arizona. He died there. So Chicago based, Arizona uh, dead, Arizona dead, and then a couple of weeks later in London, from scaffolding on the Blackfriars Bridge, one crisp summer morning, they wake up to a body, swaying from the rafters, and that body belonged to Roberto Calvi. In his pockets is fifteen thousand dollars in different currencies. And a shit ton of bricks. And here's the thing. So bricks... Also, what all is he wearing that he has all this in his pocket? Just suits. He's wearing a suit. Uh, It's a lot of shit. Exactly. And they determined that he could not have climbed up all that scaffolding with the bricks in his pockets. Right. Oh, he totally... For someone inside. And bricks are a Masonic symbol. And he was hanging from Blackfriars Bridge in London... And in P2, in the Masonic Lodge they were in, they called themselves the Blackfriars. So... They fucking did it. I mean, you already know that he was murdered by somebody. Yeah, so it's either the Masons murdered him because of his bank collapsing fucking the entire Masonic Lodge. Or the mafia killed him and wanted to make it look Masonic. I, I... it could be either. But, I don't like the Masons, so I'm going to say it was the Masons. Someone killed him. The court, uh, basically, Italy declared it a suicide, though. S- because they basically, or no, sorry, England declared it a suicide because that's where he was yeah, killed. He was killed and they London. think it was because of pressures from the mafia. Well, you know who also died by suicide? Or the Masons. Jeffrey Epstein. That's right. This is the Jeffrey Epstein of the 1980s uh, London. Yeah. So, there you go. Uh, so all of these people are all everybody's dying. All of Michelle Sendona's allies are either in hiding in South American countries or dead at this point. And Michelle Sendona is now facing murder <laughs> in Italy. He basically said that they brought up like in his trial all the things about how Amico flip-flopped mm-hmm. uh if he was at the behest of Michel Sendona and they brought up all these things, but he could tell that kind of he was, they, he already knew what the verdict was going to be by the first time he was there. And he's already like for the total of his bank crimes, he's sentenced to 12 years in Italy already. He's sentenced to 25 in America. This whole murder trial concludes and he 
is found guilty of the murder of Giorgio Ambrosoli, and he's sentenced to life in prison. Poor guy. And I'm kidding. Two days later, uh, after all the the collapse of Michelle Sendona has finally happened, he's at his lowest point. He gets delivered breakfast in his cell. He opens up the plastic lid on his coffee cup and starts eating and drinking. And he approaches the door and he says, they've poisoned me. And he collapses. And two days later, he dies from cyanide poisoning in the hospital. And he's quoted as saying towards the end, I knew things that they didn't want me to reveal and that's why they killed me. I mean, he's probably right. So, Michelle Sindona... From selling lemons and grain on the Isle of Sicily. To dying to, of cyanide. Yep. To, to tax lawyer. To the largest banker in Italy. To one of the forefronts of American businessmen. To nothing again. To convicted murderer. To dead. This is a real rags to riches rags story. Yeah. Rags to riches to fucking dead, dead. story. Story. So... <laughs> That's it. How much was the mafia involved? We don't know. How did the Masons kill Roberto Calvi? We don't know. What else did Michelle Michel Sindona know that he never got to tell because he was murdered too soon? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And that concludes one of the craziest, probably the craziest story we've covered so far in the podcast. It definitely is the craziest story, the one with the most layers for sure. And no one knows about this one. It involves ancient societies, murder, the mafia. It involves so many things and no one knows the story. So I'm really happy that we get to bring this to you guys. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, Kashan and I have talked about this before off the off the podcast, but we definitely think that there's a reason why no one's heard of this shit. Yeah. No one knows this story, why there's so little about it on the internet. Carlo Bordoni disappeared. He's probably either in witness protection program or he just fucked off. But there's nothing even about his backstory on the internet, so nope. it's like he's been scrubbed as a person. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a very, very interesting story. What was the book called again? In case people, uh, it's really Power on Earth by Power Nick Toshis. It, it's really dense, but if you really want to know a lot about this subject, it's definitely a recommended read. So go out and grab it. You can buy it from used bookstores on Amazon. But it's even hard to find the book. There's no it PDF really, version. Yeah, no. Um, I tried to get the book. I had to wait till he was done with it because by the time the book would arrive, we would have already been recording. Mm-hmm. You cannot get it on Prime, so. Put it on your Christmas list now. But uh, thank you so much for listening, you guys. We hope you had fun. And we'll see you on the next episode of White White Collars, Collars, Red Red Hands. If you liked this week's episode, please review, rate, or share it on whatever podcasting service you use. Your support helps motivate us to create better content in the future. And if you didn't like the podcast, you can help us improve by sending an email to whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com with Amazon gift card codes and suggestions on how to improve, which we will definitely read. And remember, mo' money, mo' problems. See you next week.